I, I like to call her um, Tinder Girl Neve um, because I met her on Tinder. She's a girl and her name is Neve. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, chatting to her and then I struck her with the line and she hasn't replied yet. Dear Dutch, call us a title. I just wanna know who you are. I just get a new car. Maybe we can go far. I'm loving the way that you look in your GAA jersey. From the way that you sound, I can tell that you're straight from the country. Skinny jeans, GAA. With the GAA jersey. Skinny jeans, GAA. Hello and welcome to the GA podcast of Action Replay Extra Time. I'm Enda Call and I'm all alone in the studio because Breen McGinn was too hungover to come in with me. Uh, Gavin McCallan's on the decks. He'll be joining me later to talk about the Joe.ae or Sports Joe's uh, ranking of the GA jerseys. But on the phone now is the fellow who wrote that article, Conan Doherty. He's going to be joining me to talk about the National Football League. Conan, I'm just I'm, I'm looking through this piece from earlier on and I still can't help but think you're... Uh, being a bit harsh in the Fermanagh jersey, but but uh, we'll 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 get to that a bit later. Uh, we'll start we'll start with the football. Uh, starting with the champions, Dublin uh, mm. had a good win over Cavan at the weekend, at the opening game of the of the league. How do you think they're going to fare this year? <laughs> I'd say they probably have a decent enough chance. Uh, they're uh, they're a good team. Um, I like listen. Dublin are incredible. There was actually a stage last year, like I, I would call myself a Dublin sympathizer. Probably the only, the only neutral who doesn't mind seeing them win, just because I'm so impressed by them. But uh, there was a stage last year where I wanted Mayo to win, and then someone said to me, "Are you are you serious? If Mayo win the Ireland, Dublin will win every game next year by thirty points." <laughs> you know, and that's that's sort of what you're dealing with. I think they're so far ahead of everyone else, and it's probably true. The last thing we needed was them to be. Hungry or angry, um, like and you can see you now just the type of boys are bringing in. Like your man Niall Scully the other day was incredible. Uh, Jack McCaffrey's back. Like you look around at the team, like there's the like of John Smalls there now. He's really fighting for his place. Harvey Costler just got dropped again to the bench. Kevin McMenamin never seems to be assured of his place. But these are guys as well that not only started in the Ireland had massive in the Ireland final. They had massive impacts on it, and like now. He, you look at it just a couple of months later, and they're still not, still not assured of their place. That, that's nobody. It's a Rolls Royce. Jim Gavin's driving, like, and no one else can sort of compete with the power that it has. Yeah, I mean, uh, last year I would have been one of those that were uh, very cynical about Dublin. I, I didn't buy into the fact that they were an unbeatable team, but mm. this this year I just don't see anybody catching them. I mean, when you got the former Player of the Year fighting for his place in in half back line, it just it just tells you the the depth in the squad they have it's just absolutely incredible and uh, I, I was, what, what would you be what would you have been cynical about Ember? I just I just felt that uh, there was too much too much talking on that Dublin were this unbeatable side and there was no team yeah. in Ireland that could beat them and to, if I was being completely honest I thought Kerry would have would have tipped them and in the in the first All-Ireland final I thought Mayo bottled it to be honest I probably agree with you I, I probably pro- like the thing that stood out last year, especially in the semi, I think the final more than the semi-final. It was just proved that they are human. Like there was this big mystique around them, and I was probably more guilty than anyone. And just, I just thought they were unstoppable. But I think 
that was probably the most heartening thing of last year was just pointing out that this is just 15 men. All right, they're 15 unbelievable men, but they're 15 men and they sweat and they bleed and they tire and like they're still better than everyone else, but they can definitely be got at. Yeah, and they they can have off days as well, which they did have in the first All Ireland final. Mm, exactly, and like they weren't they weren't sensational by any means in the second All Ireland final either. Like you know, it may sort of proved if you can if you can stay with them, like if you can run with them, if you can hit them hard, like they were right up their arses half the time, and it, like they proved that if you put them under pressure, then they're just they're, they're just men, like and they can panic and get nervy, and like they want to change it. Like Gavin had to make. Not just from the first game to the second game, but in the second game, like the subs essentially won it for them. If Cormac Oslo didn't hit three scores from play, they probably never would have an All Ireland game. Yeah, and uh, in the Burn Cup as well, they more or less played their third team, and they were still better than some of even the Division Two teams uh, that they came up against. But they they beat Cavan at the weekend. Cavan and the new new side on the block in Division One. Uh, they've been improving. Uh, for a long time now, three, three or four years time, they've, they've, or three or four years now, they've been slowly, gradually improving. Uh, how do you think they'll? Do you think they will stay up? First of all, I, I don't, I don't. Like I think we, we've been waiting on Cavan to come good for the last six years or so. Like they had so many sort of great underage successes and these great teams, and like you can see now that some of the players that they've brought through. Definitely impacting their team and deserve to be where they are, but I don't think they can stay up. Like a, it's sort of nearly a process of elimination. You're asking who's going to drop out, and I think Ross Common will. I even think they're better shaped than Cavan though. And I know Donegal is struggling, but I I can't see how Cavan can get ahead of them. You know, when it comes after seven games, like they're also struggling. They've lost about four or five players from last year, giving these a big big loss he's not coming back they've still got a lot of injuries like I know you know the like of Michael Argue and that would have made a big difference yeah. on that Sunday but you know they're, they're really depleted around that middle third and they're saying to defend two fullbacks from last year in midfield but and I don't know it's only one game and they probably would have expected to lose against Dublin anyway to give a bit of a show of it but I just I just look around and I just don't see sort of where the spark is you know what I mean like they have a good team but it just it just doesn't excite me. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, we've been waiting for ages now for Calvin actually to come good on their on their minor success. I yeah. Mean, how many Ulster finals were they in a row? I think it was three, mm. uh, and they never really seemed to transition. But first, I I just get an inkling that maybe not not so much in the league, but I think they can push on in Ulster. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I saw. I saw you were. You were saying. I actually didn't even think about it. But like you were. You were pointing out that there were four also teams in Division One. Yeah. And you know, you take on the account that two also teams got relegated last year. Or sorry, was it two? No, Derry got relegated the year before. Yeah. There, there's my bias coming through. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, you have the like of Derry and Down who have been there in the last two years, and like you know, so essentially you've had six six teams up around Division One for a while now. Uh, from Ulster again it's when you think of King Kevin won an Ulster like you think about who they actually have to beat to get there like on our podcast the GA or uh, Colin Parkinson was you know he was talking up Galway and you know he had every right to do so they've got a good team but then he made this claim that they're going to win the All-Ireland in three years time <laughs> but then but <laughs> fine like you're a good team but to do that they have to get past 
Kerry for one, they have to get past Mayo, yeah. they have to get past Tyrone, they have to get past Dublin. Like, so again, when you think of Cavan trying to win Ulster, can they get past Monaghan? Can they get past Tyrone? Yeah. See, see, I just can't see it. Just, uh, I'll, I'll make a point. I don't think they'll actually go on and win Ulster, but Ty- I think Tyrone will walk away with Ulster this year because uh, I just think they have the quality. And I, I suppose that's a. Uh, next thing we'll move on to is Tyrone they seem to have a bit of a resurgence this year again Cahill McCarran's back in the full back line do you think that's a big that's a big boost the uh, Jesus it doesn't actually matter like, it seems to be every, every defence every defender that comes in to play in that back line for Tyrone are just the same they're sticky they're strong and they're the thing that really sets them apart and it's done so for the last 20 years if you ask me they're so mean and aggressive, and that's that's sort of why I really wanted to see them play Dublin last year because I thought mm. Dublin have not come up against a team like this, like just a team who will show them no respect, and that's that that's a big compliment to Tyrone. They, they go in and they believe that they can beat anyone, and they they, they don't actually care who you are. So whether it's McCarn or whether it's McMahon or whoever, like if it's you know it doesn't matter who it is, they they will just treat you with utter contempt and. In a way, they've got a right to do that as well because they are good enough, and that's the way they go out to play. And like, you know, as much as I hate them, being from Derry, it's hard not to respect them. But yeah, I think you're right. I can't see past them. Well, like for, so, some people do say, Mickey Hart invent, invented sledging. Uh, I mean, there's there's stories going around from underage teams, from minors, even as young as minor, uh, the teams sending around messages of all the all the opposition's girlfriends, mothers, their occupations, or. <laughs> what they do, things to get in their head, and Tyrone are absolute masters of that. Yeah, absolutely, and that's like you know you could see when even when they were playing Mayo, I thought they were very. I think they deserved to beat Mayo in the quarter final last year, but you could see you know if Aidan O'Shea dropped the ball, if he, if he missed, uh, if the ball was turned over, like even if it was way up the other end of the field, just before you know your attention was switched to, to look at the actual play you could see these white jerseys <laughs> coming down into their faces and roaring whatever it was like you know a lot of it's just goading and provocation and all but might not have been personal but every single time they're just on your case it would be so annoying to play against and I've seen any number of Derry forwards getting sent off over the years against them as well just reacting to something stupid and uh, you mentioned Mayo there and Aidan O'Shea. There was no sign of any O'Shea's on the pitch against Monaghan. Uh, what, what's the story there? Uh, they just, well, do you think they're just resting them for the league? Or? I think, well, like, it was obvious. Like, they've, they've only come back from holidays with South Africa they were in. Um, Aidan O'Shea didn't go. He was playing basketball, but he got an injury playing basketball. So he's out for five or six weeks. Um, mm-hmm. like a thumb or as a hand injury, anyway. Um Seamus, yeah, I assume that they're just trying to get the boys back up the pitch. Like, you could even see the boys who did play, they just weren't as conditioned, if you want to call it, or sharp as Monaghan. Or like, Monaghan were down in Castle Bar and they were up for it, whereas Mayo, it was more more like a realistic first game of the league, where it was like, I've got plenty of time, let's just pace ourselves here, let's get back into training. They just didn't seem to be at the same level at the moment. Like that—that's all I think that was. Yeah, they they kind of took that approach last year as well. I mean, they were very very lucky to even stay in the championship, uh, let alone go as far as they did. Um, do you think we'll we'll see much of that again t- this year? <coughs> much of this is sort of the, much, the much peaking. Is, do you mean? Yeah, they'll they'll start off slow and start try to build momentum. I think it's 
think well, I think it sort of stood to them. You're right, like they were lucky, but you could see that they improved as the year went on. Now a lot of that is probably down to the fact just that they had a new manager last yeah. year and a big time, and they they changed their team around a bit, and they looked at new ways of playing, and you know, so they probably just naturally took more time than they would have liked. But like, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. But what I like this year, especially about the league, is the teams do seem to be going for it. Like that's that's one great thing that Dublin have brought. Like they Dublin respect the league. They don't they don't treat it with this sort of like it's a second hand cup. They 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 see it as a big trophy to go get, and they they go after it. And because Dublin are so good, because they're so dominant in the league, especially everyone wants a piece of it now. You know, imagine. Imagine if Tyrone won it, or if Mayo won it, or Kerry, it would be a huge deal. Like, it's only, there really are only, I well, suppose, three, if you count your provincial championships, there's only three big honours you can win in a year. And, and Division 1, now, especially with Dublin, is massive, but Mayo don't seem to be like they don't seem to be there yet, so I'd say it looks like they are just going to try and... Like, they don't know they're going to be in August, no matter what. They're going to get there. Like They'll, they'll probably get through their... Provincial Championship like last year was a bit of an anomaly but if they get through the Provincial Championship like they have done for God knows how many years now they're in the quarterfinals automatically so there's no real point in them sort of going all on the blazing right now they'll be in August and then it's just about getting August and September right which they have done largely but just not enough and their their opponents Monaghan it was a, it was a surprising uh, surprising victory for me I actually I picked uh Picked my own the first week of last man standing, and I'm out already. So that's that's, <laughs> that's my interest in the league gone. But uh, Connor Connor McManus again pulled them out of a hole. Yeah, well, well, what can you say about him? Um, we've got this joke going on the podcast where it's like you know every player that's mentioned, it's like oh, I I say he's the best player I've ever seen, <laughs> but like you know he might be one of them. Like he's definitely. If you were, well, let me ask you: If you were going to pick one full forward in the country, well, if, if start your team with, if who would it be? If you're picking a corner forward, it's going to be Conor McManus, Aye. without a doubt. Even I, I said, I actually said this yesterday, just just when we were chatting about it. Uh, I would even have, I'd probably have Conor McManus over uh, Bernard Brogan at his peak. And oh, that's, I, that's, I, I don't think I don't think that's that big a statement. Like I, I definitely agree with you there. Like, well. Yeah, considering what he's achieved, but it's just he, McManus just picks out points with ease, in my opinion. Oh, like and he's he's different gravy. Like he, and you saw some of the scores on Saturday night. Like he doesn't need space. Like he, he would pick up the ball, and you could see as well as all options on the one. He scored from downtown, if you want to call it, and it was basically he got the ball under serious pressure. He had he had it in his hands for about. Not 0.5 seconds, and you thought right, he's just going to play it off to someone running off his shoulder. There was an hour pass inside, but he just floated into there and it dropped over, and that's you know that, that that's sort of the confidence that he brings as well. Never mind the the talent that he brings. Yeah, like that, but he's, yeah, he's something else. And I, I was I was saying this as well. Like the best the best job, best marking job I've ever seen on Conor McManus was Paddy McGrath last year, and I think Conor mm. McManus still scored five points. <laughs> Exactly. And, and I mean, Paddy, Paddy McGrath marked him out of the game, but he still uh, he still popped over five points. And uh, do you look at you look at the Ulster final uh, the year before or two years before, like that time we had that battle of Dean McGee yeah. and Paddy McGrath was sort of doubling up as well. Like, and you know, it was brilliant to watch. And you'd actually 
if you were a manager going into that game, like you would probably, be, if you were told beforehand, this is how it will pan out, this is what Conor McManus will do, you probably would have accepted it because he got very few chances. But the chances he got, Jesus, you know, he put them away with absolute deadly effect. One of them he scored, I think, on the sideline. You know, he's working off inches and half seconds, and he's, you know, and he's doing it with long periods of time, not even getting a sniff of the ball. Like that's that's the beauty of him, and I think like a lot of full forwards need to learn from him because he's really important right now, especially like you know, there's more defenders coming back. You know, space is being taken up. And what you're finding is people are saying, oh, corner forward's dead, or there's no such thing anymore. And all people are getting impatient and they're going out looking for ball. Whereas he just holds and holds and holds, waits for the ball to come in. And it's it's so disciplined, but it's it's marvellous. And then like, when he does come in, it might only be two, three, four times a half. It's worthwhile. Yeah, and but for for some reason I just don't think Monaghan have enough in their in their ranks. Except if you take out McManus, I mean I just don't think they have anything. But uh, we'll move on to their their Ulster compatriots, Donegal. Very mm. very much a transitional period. <laughs> is that the is that the word we're going to use that, now? That, a transitional period. I'm 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 a, I'm a Donegal man myself, so I'm not going to say that we're going to go four years without a trophy. I'm going to say it's going to be a transitional period. <laughs> transitional. Um, yeah, it, it does. I can funny because I've been sort of talking up this guy Jason McGee for a while now, and uh, I thought like you know I was really interested. I saw he was starting against Kerry, and I thought, geez, it's like you know this is great. How's he going to get on? And it was just a different level then. It was like right, he's still a young boy. He's only out of minors. <laughs> yeah. This is David Moran he's playing against. <laughs> yeah, I mean Kerry absolutely dominant in the midfield in that game as well. Uh, but it's it's not much you can expect from a a kid that was just playing in Ulster in like you said in the minors last year. Uh, no. But I, as much as I I will be frustrated watching Donegal because they won't be the team they were in the last couple of years. I actually do think I'm I'm pretty confident going forward. I'm 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 liking the fact that the younger players are finally getting a chance to to actually implement implement themselves on this team. I I mean there's there's a there's a certain beauty in that like uh, you know <laughs> I know this from from soccer where I support Aston Villa <laughs> you know it's bad when you're trying to hang on or paper over cracks or you, you can't afford to try out things but then when you actually not that Donegal have hit rock bottom by any means but they probably accepted that they're in transition now and they're not competing not going to be competing in the third Sunday of September when you accept that it's like right well let's play the long game here let's, let's go for two three years time and then you can start bringing these boys again. I love to see more of Daryl Connor. Like you can see, is frightening when he gets going. Yeah. Um. There's loads of these wee whippets running around. On it. Like it is going to be a different team. And I heard I heard Gallagher saying that they're going to try and play a different way. It's really strange though seeing some of the goals that Kerry got. That was like Jesus. This is you know where where are the other two or three men coming around and you know where are the where the big men that are coming with the hits, like he was just just looked very exposed, but that's going to happen as well. But not just when it's younger boys and a different team, but they're all new playing together as well. They're going to take a little while to, to get going. But listen, like maybe it, it's just from personal experience having so many bad days down in Bally Buffet, especially like I I never write off on a goal, and it, like it doesn't matter sort of what what way they're going. Or what people are standing with their team, they always have good players. They always seem to produce these nice teams that can play football. And 
like you know, uh, thankfully Derry won't have to worry about that because Tyrone will put them out in the first round of the Ulster <laughs> Championship. But I wouldn't like to be going to play them. It doesn't, it doesn't matter sort of how many players they've lost. Like they'll still have a good team come the championship. Yeah, I mean their their minor team has has been in three three All Ireland finals in the past six years, I think, or two, two All Ireland finals. Yeah, sorry, there you go. Uh, so like that doesn't come by accident. Uh, you have Hugh, McBa- Hugh McFadden coming through and. The, the different players that are young but are already they already kind of cemented themselves in the team already is it's it's always good to see uh, aye unlike unlike Aston Villa like uh, the un, the under 21 <laughs> side wasn't beating the senior team last year like but <laughs> but that that just that we, we just weren't as bad as the Aston Villa senior team last year well that's something <laughs> but uh, Kerry had four league debutants as well, so they're obviously trying to implement something new as well. Uh, Aye, and the, the, I suppose the it's, it's much nicer for them to come and like you know Jack Savage comes in alongside James O'Donoghue and Paul Ganey. Like you know what a dream yeah. for any any young forward <laughs> coming in with two of the most accomplished pro forwards in the game, skills wise, and they've they've got a bit of success too. But um, you know Tom O'Sullivan comes in, they have pretty pretty experienced backline. And then he shines as well as halfback. Like it's just, it's easier to do that. Like, do you ever play those reserve games where you think, like, you know, I'm not getting like you think you'd be better if you had a couple of better players there to play with. Yeah. Like, you know, especially say if you're playing an A versus B game in training, and you're in the B team. It's like, well, how can I impress here? If there's nobody good here to play with, and you're sort of using it as an excuse mostly. But there is a bit of a bit of truth on it too. Like whereas like these younger lads and Kerry, they're not being thrown in together. Twelve of them away you go to see what happens. They're being bled and nicely, and you know, like Jack Savage was in their squad last year. Yeah, and now he's only he's only now getting a chance to get his league debut there and started looking like a good one. Yeah, well, Jack Jack Savage was the first name that was was on it was on the tip of my tongue before you said it. I mean, he got three points in the first half and he was just cruising. Mm. And like you just like you look at that that front three, you know, they can all stay fit, which they haven't done last while, but. It seems to have everything, and like it's far too early to say it. But I'm just sort of looking at player makeup wise. It's very similar to now. This is a big statement, but it's very similar to Colin Cooper, Keane Dunhe, and Mike Frank Russell, and that they've got the balance, mm-hmm. and they all have everything between them. Like between the three of them, they can offer everything that you would need. I think uh, I think Eamon Fitzmaurice he he got a bit of bad rep last year for going away from Kerry's traditional football and. and Whatever you want to call it, uh, but I think he's actually he slowly he's starting to build a side that won't be walked over, and I think that's that's important in modern football. Exactly, and sure he, he was getting flack in twenty fourteen when they ended up winning the All Ireland. Like you know, the, the start of that year, people were really sort of out to get him. And remember the whole stories where he banned people from coming to training. Like that was unheard of in Kerry. Mm. You could usually just go down and watch the training session if you wanted. And then he's like, hang on a second, <laughs> we're trying to get work done here, played a different way. Like if if Amos Fitzmaurice wasn't in charge of Kerry that year, whether well, we got the Arnold final or not, Donegal would have had a, a second All Ireland under Jim McGuinness. Like yeah. they definitely would have won that final, but it was because Mc, Fitzmaurice was crafty enough to say, right, let's play this game too, and let's let's be patient and let's be disciplined. Let's get let's not get caught in the brick and. You know, no Wally Carey man would have done that, so they can slate them all, all they want, but they'd soon find out if he left what they're missing because 
if he left right now, they would be in big trouble. I think they still have a good team, but they would be getting exposed left, right, and center by weaker teams. I would say, you know, like like yeah. if Donegal would run over the top of them, Tyrone would run over the top of them. Like they just, they would just be far too naive. Yeah, and uh, I, I think it was it was complete ruthlessness that won them the All Ireland a few years ago. And, yeah. Uh, maybe like Tyrone as well. There's they're starting to show a bit of grit. Uh, which which isn't a bad thing. Now I'm just looking to see where Kerry come on this list of your sixteenth there. Uh, the t- twenty fourteen for their away jersey. Uh, th- that that one made me chuckle now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um, I it's like you know it's just a change of brother jersey. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> if you want to talk about the most important things in football, change your brother jersey. The uh, I'm just like, like actually, I think that we did a list of that last year as well. Just ranking all those jerseys in the GA, and I think that one came high enough, like the Kerry jersey last year. But now I'm just sick of looking at it, and and yeah, like that that blue one stands out from the Mayo the Mayo matches in 2014. There was amazing semi-finals games, two semi-finals. Um, there's a few a few choices now that I wouldn't agree with. Uh, <laughs> what what I, would you have top three? Top three. Top three, I think, is is fairly fair. Uh, I probably would have had Wicklow in the top three now. All right. Uh, but other other than that, the the number one and number two would be my choices. Uh, ah, there we go. But I think I'm I'm just looking through it here, and Armaz is Armaz home jersey is only thirtieth. I I think <laughs> I think that's nicer than let's say Carlo who come in twenty second. <laughs> you know, Armas jersey. I, a lot of this now is just uh, growing is that, tired of looking at them. Like is Armas that about a, a, Ulster bias coming through there? <laughs> uh, Down's pretty high up there as well. See, but uh, Armas jersey last year did all right. You know, I think it was might have been top fifteen. Um, but then we coupled with the away jersey, where I was just sort of looking yeah, at the, away the whole thing as a package. The away jersey is hideous looking. Um. What about what what about Carlos' colors? I mean, that color palette just—it doesn't even deserve to be on the list for the fact that it's so ugly. I think, I honestly think Carlo need to stop making jerseys <laughs> that are red, yellow, and green. It's 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 dastardly. But um, and like I think I said that before, but then someone was like, "That's your colors." Well, change your colors because this is. Stupid looking. It's absolutely but hideous. I think this is definitely the best one they've ever made. Like, and they're not. If they are going to use those colours, they're they're pretty much hamstrung. Yeah. Like, there's not much they can do. So, I think that's they've done the best they could. And the away jersey is nice enough. Well, they're, they're a wee bit like uh, a wee bit like Offaly in a way. They're kind of stuck with the colours. And Offaly Offaly's done a done a done away with the old you know old cotton jersey that was. That was just plagued the GAA for <laughs> fifty years and just wouldn't disappear. Uh, but the new the New York jerseys, the home jersey is lovely. But the, I think if you're go if you're judging it in both both folds, the away jersey just looks like a like a polo shirt you'd get. Uh, <laughs> the home jersey is lovely. Um, but you want to slag jerseys? Let's let's talk about this sponsor in the middle of Donegal's top. Like how how much bigger could it get? <laughs> I think it's actually in my head now it's taking up space over the crest. Uh, well, I I just don't understand it. I mean, it's a big blue, big ugly blue, <laughs> like thing in the middle of a a lovely jersey, and I don't. They, <laughs> they, they, they must be getting plenty of money for it anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, if I can say that, 
I don't know if I can. Say, I don't know if I can say that on radio without having without being able to back that up. But anyway, uh, we'll finish off there. Thanks very much for coming on, Conan. No bother at all. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Chat to you later. Bye. So that was Conan Doherty from Sports Show. Interesting chap. Uh, Gavin O'Callaghan has joined me in the studio now to debate the jerseys. I just had a debate with Conan. So Gavin, Gavin, what do you think of the jerseys? I don't don't agree with everything on this. I do agree that Carlo's rotten though, and it has to be the most rotten. Uh, has to be the most terrible, terrible crest that the GAA has ever seen. Is the Carlo GAA oh, crest? Disgusting. Have you seen it? Like who, it's I just. I don't know who came up with it. Did they pay a designer to make that? Like I'm I, I could have, I could have made that myself. Like it is lit. Like it's just a white circle with Carlock written on it. Like there's there's nothing else to it. <laughs> yeah. The best way I can describe it is my uh, my local academy club, uh, Mulroy Academy. Uh, we they do a summer a summer camp football summer camp every mm. year, and when it first started up, they ran a competition to uh, create a badge. Yeah, and it was like eight to ten year olds that were creating it, and this lad drew a football with eyes and arms, and that ended up being the crest for it's still the crest in the, to this day. <laughs> and that's just that's just that's what comes to my head when I see the Carlo crest. I mean, like, did uh, design that? Like who? Okay, like imagine you are the uh, yeah the graphic designer who got charged with making the Carlo crest, and it's like they must have just forgot to pay him or something. Like the money must not have gone into his account. Like just a white circle. Like how um, how un like how much creativity do you have to lack to come up with that? But uh, yeah, looking at all these other, there's a few decent the, jerseys in there though, isn't there? However high up the uh, the ranking of Carlo is. Um, jersey wise if you're going on captions the, the caption comes number one AFCON yeah, I mean, yeah. That, that, oh yeah that, that, look, that, that, that is what would look good in an AFCON that would have looked great as a Cameroon away <laughs> kit it would have been brilliant yeah even on the away shirt I see they have a navy away shirt as well with kind of green stripes and a little kind of zebra like design going down the sides in red like even that's that looks like a bit of an African influence there as well but uh, I think for Man Away, which he is ranked at number thirty-four out of thirty-four. I know that that's nice. I love that little those little stripes on the away white shirt here. Do you not think oh, that's? Oh yeah, uh, no, that's a really nice. I jersey. thought that's really harsh. Um, but I don't know. There's a, there's a few that like see okay. that, see that down away jersey. But that's, that's I don't know. Just, when I think just, of down, some, when I think of down, I just think of that gold away. I think that's iconic for them, like because it, they won in All Ireland in that shirt, didn't they? And then they they wore it a few years ago as yeah. well when they played Cork in the final. I kind of it's a nice throwback in my eyes, to the be th- honest. The thing that tur- the thing that turns my eye at it is the fact that I just think of Arsenal when I see it. And yeah. It's, and the Arsenal jersey is just so hideous. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he's right about the Donegal sponsor as well. That's, That's uh, disgracefully huge. Mead is boring. Wexford have basically just cut off the collar from their old from last yeah. year's top. That's all that is. It's the exact same shirt except without a collar. Have you seen? Uh, have you seen Wicklow's? Gorgeous. Wicklow's jersey, absolutely is the gorgeous. Football jersey I've seen in a long time. If you're going to invest money in one GAA shirt this season, like, it has yeah. to be that Wicklow home kit. Oh. I mean, that is absolutely beautiful. Even even the away kits, and it's original as well. Like sometimes they give the smaller teams kind of a template, but they actually see, well. I know a few teams have that kind of three stripe down the over the badge template in clubs, but I haven't. I don't think any other county teams actually have that other than other than Wicklow. So yeah. More than welcome. The Waterford away done by Azuri is quite interesting. I think the Hoops. Waterford uh, 
Waterford away is lovely, but the Waterford home kit, that's that's controversial enough to be up that high. It looks like it'd be uh, very Azuri, like it, it even sounds Italian. Obviously, it has to be an Irish maker for it to be allowed into the All-Ireland, but it, it looks like it'd be a Italian tight fit type shirts for Waterford this year. Like. Did Cavan make the list? But at least they're, uh, yeah, Cavan are pretty boring. Sligo, if only their football was as nice as their jerseys, eh? Ah, Cavan. Whatever happened to that Sligo team of the early 2000s that actually used to compete in things? But. Ah, that's, that's as as Mr. Yates from Sligo said, uh, what was the quote? What is the quote? Uh, Sligo are shite. Sligo are <laughs> shite. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe that was from uh, from under under Ben Bulbin part four. Yeah, that was, that was the exact. And quote. what what the hell were you doing picking Monaghan or picking a uh, Mayo in your last man standing on the first week? Like everybody they're, they're, knows, Monaghan uh, are uh, Monaghan are a force to be reckoned with in league seasons. I They've done the damage over the years. I didnn't think the Monaghan would beat Mayo. Like I didn't think the O'Shea's would. Not they had about eight or nine wides as well. They weren't. Uh, they weren't exactly. Pulling out all the stops in terms of accuracy on the night either. I was, uh, I was just watching it on live live updates on the forty two, and I mean it was just without even watching the game, it just resembled a Mayo game. It was a really entertaining they absolutely game. Bottled it like yeah, it, it, like I I got the thing I at no point actually was, did I ever ever from being down there feel like Mayo were going to win us. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like it's it's mad that you can get the feeling that Mayo are bottling a game mm. just like they always do. By wa- by watching live updates on the forty two. Yeah, be interesting uh, now to see how they get on away to Kerry this weekend. So uh, I don't. I, I think Kerry I will walk away with that game. I think so. Yeah. Um, they made a statement last Kerry, week. Do you know what Kerry? The fact that they only beat. It was up in Bally Buffet, points, was it? It was in Lurkenny. Oh, okay. Lurkenny is awful, awful venue for Donegal. Yeah. Not like it's a it's a good venue, great mm. pitch, excellent pitch, but massive pitch. And Donegal just have the worst luck. I don't know why they had it in their kidney. Mm. Um, I kind of, I kind of have a little soft spot for Donegal this year. I see shades of Kerry twenty fourteen in them, where everybody's written them off already because they've had a few big players hang up the boots, and the the rest of the team is just deemed too inexperienced to actually win anything. But look, it's I, I'd like to think I'm going to get goods out on them, stick down a cheeky tenor, and it might actually pull through based on based on Kerry 2014. Yeah, I, I just can't I can't see them going any further in a quarter final anyway. I just can't see it. They don't have they don't have the power in midfield. Hugh McFadden's a good player. Jason McGee's a good player, but neither are. Yeah, you don't really pa- know. You, you, I mean, you need it. You need it. You need a powerhouse in midfield. You, even, like you, you don't have a Neil Gallagher anymore. You even look at how much Mayo bottled last season when they got knocked out of Connacht, and like look at their route to the final. Mm. And then they turned up in the final and they almost got it. I mean, two one goals, you're obviously extremely unlucky not to finally pull an All-Ireland out of the bag. But who's to say Donegal couldn't get knocked out of Ulster early enough and then just get a kill there and a Tipperary on the road to a final? Well, who's to say? I genuinely will say that they will go out of Ulster early. I think, <laughs> they'll, I think they'll go out I think, yeah, I think that's looking lightly. Um, they're not on a bad side of the draw, but they're on the side that... Uh, after such a Monaghan statement, the Tyrone Renaissance. Yeah, Tyrone are kind of the dominant team. I will I will say that this mm. year. Uh, last year they weren't. I knew they could be beaten last year. I was right. Just saying. Do you think they'll uh, handle the pressure this year? Because a lot of eyes are on them now. Who are Well, a lot of pundits are, are calling them for a, an All-Ireland final appearance this season. Um, All-Ireland, I don't know about. A final I'm not, appearance? I'm not, I'm not going to say that yet. Uh, I'm going to say they're going to win Ulster. 
Callum McCarron coming into the fullback line is a massive boost for them because that is where they were lacking last year. That's where Mayo ultimately took advantage of mm. them. Um, so, like it, it it's got it's going to be an interesting season. Uh, Tyrone are probably they they are in a chance. Of course, they're in a chance for an All Ireland final, but I'm not mm. going to commit to that yet. I suppose better go to. Uh, I better go to work. Yeah, you better. I you should better probably eat. get my coffee and my. As as much as some people think we do, we do, we do not get paid for doing this. So <laughs> you, you, uh, you 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 can go do your work. Yeah, I don't know. I was I wasn't even planning on coming into the studio, and then I was just looking through the the GAA jerseys list, and I was just debating everything that you were saying. I was like, I need to come in and give Anacar a piece of my mind. Coolahan into the penalty. Get it! So we now move on to a story which, in my honest opinion, gets to me a little. As we know, a couple of months ago, 71 people lost their life in a plane crash in Colombia. On board the plane was the Brazilian side Chapecoense and several journalists. Since the disaster, tributes have been continuous and the side have now gathered themselves and rebuilt the team and are back playing football. Now they have signed a deal with Qatar Airlines for a shirt sponsorship. Somebody who has commented uh, on this topic as it broke and as it developed, Ewan McKenna, and he joins us on the phone from Brazil. Ewan, first of all, can you explain to us the nature of this deal? Well, it's up. I've seen it reported by UOL, uh, one of the Brazilian internet newspapers. I'm waiting for complete confirmation on it because the, the club are currently sponsored by their um, their fan section. They were last year sponsored by a Brazilian bank, Casha. That deal ran out, and they're in the middle of negotiations for another sponsor. Um, but I'm told that won't be until March. Now, um, their, their name came up in papers, all right, as one potential sponsor, but the club won't comment on it any further, and we won't know for sure uh, until March. Qatar Airlines were interested, I do believe that, um, and I do believe there were meetings between their CEO and the company. Um, and Chapoquenzi were also invited to a football tournament in Qatar after the tragedy. Um, but but I, I don't know if it's fully signed. Nobody does. I, I just I've seen it reported by by that one website and then speculation ever since. And if it, if it was signed, uh, or if it does come to be that Qatar Airlines sponsorships. It, it will be the first major sponsorship for a Brazilian team in in the Brazilian league. Well, from a, from a foreign company, I, I would say of that magnitude, if you go back to the 80s and stuff here, Coca-Cola would have sponsored some companies. Um, and, and in fairness, the, the sponsorship deals with, usually with a lot of the banks here, they're, they're not small, um, relatively maybe to your, to your Premier League, to your La Liga, whatever else they might be. But but you're talking one two million euros a year for some of the medium sized teams, more than that with with the bigger teams, which which relatively isn't bad. Now this would be a little bit of a hike on that if, if it does come through. And 
I think the most obvious thing that sticks out to me, I'm not sure about the rest of the people around here, but is there a sense of tragic irony around this that uh, Qatar Airlines, an airline company, are sponsoring a team that that had their team wiped out in a plane crash? It's an odd one and one that I've been trying to get my, my head around because the news only broke, I think, about a week ago. Um, it was first reported that this might be happening. In fairness to Qatar Airways, and God forbid that me defending a, a massive multinational, um, I mean, they're not a small airline. They've, they've done nothing wrong. Um, there's a lot of other things that grate more with this story from day one with me than this. Um, it graded with me that the Daily Mail in England uh, reported that the pilot was a hero for allegedly dumping fuel while he circles when the plane that he was flying in Avrojet cannot dump fuel and this man was effectively a murderer. Um, it grated with me that Brazilian football clubs came out before the bodies were even cold and offered players on loan to Chapoquenzi for next season as if this was a football story rather than a human story. It, it graded with me that Internacional, a, a big club in Porto Alegre who, who were relegated last year, unheard of given their size, they tried to stop relegation happening from the league in lieu of this tragedy by taking advantage of it. And other stuff still grates with me. It grates with me that the uh, dispatcher who tried to warn the airline and dispatchers in airlines, they're usually younger people without much authority. She tried to stop them from flying and was told basically to shut up. Um, she wants extradition to, or she wants to, to, to flee Bolivia to come to Brazil. She hasn't been allowed and now faces a court case against her in Bolivia for not managing to stop the plane taking off. Um, and then even with the club, they played their they played their first home competitive game since the accident uh, about ten days ago. Their stadium holds twenty two thousand people. Seven thousand people showed up for that game. So there's a lot of things that I think great with me before a company trying to to put money money into them. Um, I, it does. I mean, it does feel a little bit weird. But if the money helps, so be it. Qatar Airlines have done nothing wrong, and it's it's hardly surprising that. Uh, a major company is looking to get people to talk about them through a marketing deal. Hi, Eunice. I was just wondering, from people you've spoken to, is the story big over there, and what's the common consensus been? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's been huge. I mean, there were the, the days of, of, of shock after it, then it kind of settled in. Um, but it's a strange one. I mean, when it, to understand Brazil, um, I mean, death is seen as something... That, kind of this huge grief instantly and then it filters away very quickly because death is something people deal with on a on a day-to-day -day basis here much more so than than, than back home um for example vitoria a city north of, of rio de janeiro yesterday the police are on strike 40 people were murdered there yesterday in a day that's one city um you're in a country of of half a million murders a year maybe 40 percent of them by the police so things always move along very, very quickly in terms of that sense to the next tragedy. There's there's little time to pause on it. Um, so so in that sense, it was huge news, of course, and there's been a lot of tributes. There's been a lot of friendly matches played for them. Uh, the Brazilian national team played the Colombian national team in Rio de Janeiro in a fundraiser for their family in the Olympic Stadium a couple of weeks back. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, it kind of got to the stage where the new season has kicked off now and, and, and things are, are, are moving on, rightly or wrongly. And just uh, just in terms of the f the football in Brazil, you, like you said, the season has started off again. Uh, much like the Busby Babes, whose anniversary it was just yesterday, they were able to rebuild their side fairly quickly. 
Uh, do you think Chapaquenzi will be able to do this uh, and the deal with al- will allow them to do that? I, I think so. Um, the turnover of players in Brazil, especially in the kind of lower mid-tier clubs like Chapaquenzi would be considered lower mid-table in, in Serie A here, having done extremely well. There's, there's always a massive turnover of players at the end of each season. Um, there's always a massive turnover of managers. Obviously, this is for a, a very grim and horrific reason that it's happening, but it tends to happen anyway. You always get eight, nine, ten new faces. You always get five, six new managers at most clubs a year. Um, so, so there's something common in that, and clubs are used to rebuilding anyhow, even when they're not going through this. Um, surely there's nearly like a bidding war for Chapcoense. Like, uh, say over here, no one really knew who they were. Now, overnight, because of the tragedy, everyone's going to watch Chapcoense. Like, their owner said that their jersey sold out for the first time in history. Yeah, well, they're a small-town club. I mean, they're, they're very small. Um, and, and as I say, the fact that they, they, they got as high up the ladder as, as they have done it is a remarkable story in itself, even, even if it's one with a, a, a tragic ending. But clubs um, here are not owned by one person. Uh, clubs here vote in their presidents from amongst uh, their fan, uh, members. So it's quite a different model. You can't have one billionaire coming in and taking over a club. And that's part of the problem with Brazilian football in that an owner has voted in, say, for two, three years. And during that two or three years, he will do everything he can to get success, even if it's not financially frugal. So the next guy who comes in is left with a bigger financial mess, but he just wants to win for his three years. And it goes on and on. Um, And and you'll see that, for example, in the tax bills that Brazilian football clubs uh, owe. Uh, Flamengo, for example, the the, the giants of, of of Rio de Janeiro, they had a tax bill of something like 800 million reais, which is 250, 300 million euro that they they owed the government, and they kind of look at it with a shrug of the shoulders. A lot of teams here, they kind of think, well, you're not going to close us down because you're going to lose votes. So financially, a lot of the clubs here are a mess for that very reason, that it isn't run like a business. It's run like one guy who wants to do the best he can for two or three years, regardless of the long-term repercussions. Do you expect viewership figures for Chapcoense to just skyrocket this season? No, <laughs> in a word. Um, no, I mean, as I say, I mean, Brazilians move on very quickly when it comes to, to, to death because of, of tragic reasons. Uh, but also Brazilian football fans are absolutely notoriously fickle, uh, regardless of, of what happens. Um, some days you could have a team with 50,000, the next day you could have them with 700. Um, it all just depends purely on winning and losing. Um, and, and, and it'll come down to that again. Uh, and and the, the tragedy will wear off if it hasn't worn off already, and they'll just go back to being another club. And that might seem cruel, but that would be my take on it. So maybe the reported sponsorship deal isn't as financially coy as Qatar Airways think they're getting it for? If, well, if it, if it exists. Um, it, it, it's hard to know. I mean, they don't operate a huge amount of routes to this part of the world. They operate some out of Abu Dhabi to Sao Paulo and stuff. But again, Chapecoense is, is quite a small town. But we're talking about it. I, I, I've seen it all over the internet. I see a lot of people talking about it. And the deal, I, I, I saw six and a half million AIs, which might be two million euros for the season. Um, that, that's not a whole lot of money to a, to a Gulf state airline so it, they might see it as worthwhile and, and they tend to know what they're doing in terms of these things uh, Yeah and just, just coming away from the football aspect I want to focus on Qatar Airlines for a, just a brief moment like you said they're a massive company they are based around profit uh, do you feel that this is much of, more of a PR stunt from 
on their behalf because what what deal does a Middle Eastern based company have putting their name on a South American team shirt? I mean, what what benefit is that actually going to be be to them? Well, it's it's the, I suppose it's the PR around talking about it. If people see it as bless their hearts, aren't they very nice contributing to this? The same reason all these stories, most of them fake, came out about footballers offering money and players wanting to go and and, and play for them and whatnot. Um, I, I think a lot of it can be a PR exercise. It might not be that at their heart, but it, it can look like that when it comes to players. Um, they're, they're getting talked about. That's that's what a, a major company does and wants in terms of their, their, their advertising section. And, and, and it's working, and if it's seen in a positive light and it does come true, then, then fair enough. I, I, I think, you know what, if they want to give Chapo Quincy more money in terms of a sponsorship deal than they've ever had before, regardless of the feeling about it being an airline they're not responsible for running a, a shoddy airline um, they just happen to work in the same industry which is absolutely massive and I don't think anyone in, in Chapoquincy would be complaining if the deal comes through uh, I'd be much again I, I've listed the things that have bothered me there's many more I mean and if you want to talk Qatar and football uh, there are other issues other than their airline sponsoring a team down here I'd have major issues with like their, their human rights abuses over Stadia ahead of the World Cup yeah and I may be really cynical when I say this, uh, but the way that I perceive this is is Qatar basically saying we are a safe airline, unlike the, the one responsible for the death of the players because it, it's now been revealed that there wasn't enough fuel for the plane to get there and there was loads of different issues surrounding the actual airline. So I, I may be cynical saying that, but ethically I, do, I just think that's wrong. It's it's a tough one. I mean, if if one company in your industry that's based eight thousand miles away from you is a a shambolic, uh, profit making, greedy organisation that wants to put its its passengers' lives at risk, just because they share an industry, do they share other things? I I do I do get where you're coming from in terms of it's just the airline that great, but maybe Qatar. I mean maybe it is as you say or maybe they're just trying to look good I mean it's all a PR exercise regardless of how you feel they're not giving the money for nothing they're giving the money for PR ultimately yeah. um, but if, if Chapo Quincy do the deal and they have no problem with it maybe maybe no one else should either Ewan just before I let you go I was just wondering have you got any more uh, 3am phone calls from Lance Armstrong no no and he's gone off the, he, even, he even unfollowed me on Twitter uh, oh. so uh, no <laughs> No, I've been I've been let sleep in the morning, so I have. But uh, <laughs> oh, fair play to him. He's he's moved on. I've moved on. You know, but it, it is what it is. I can't say I was surprised. Maybe I should have known better, uh, given his track record and how he he's used people in the past. But uh, live and learn. I was just making a comparison before the show. Uh, I think it was back in 2010 after Tiger Woods scandal. He played around a golf with I think it was AP McCoy at the JP McManus, and he was. Uh, they asked AP. What, uh, how the conversation was with Tiger, and it was basically the exact same answer you gave, where he was like, Oh, what sort of workouts do you do to be a jockey, etc.? It's just a kind of a weird comparison to two kind of uh, most scandalous people at the top of the sport of the 2010 era. <laughs> well, I tell you, AP could have given you some tips. I mean, there was a man, if, if some of the stories I've heard about him over the years, a man who used to take a boiling bath every morning that would literally burn his skin to try and shed any little bit of pounds he could to get on the saddle. I'm, I'm sure Tiger did most of the listening rather than the other way around. Do you not do that before you get to the laptop in the morning, no? <laughs> <laughs> I can barely get in a cold shower. <laughs> 
Listen, Ewan, thanks very much for coming on. So that was Ewan McKenna, off, uh, contributor from the New York Times. He was on Off the Ball podcast. Irish journalist based in Brazil. It was good to get a get a feel for the feeling in Brazil. And it's an interesting thought that how the people move on quickly because of all the tragedies that are going on in Brazil. Yeah, that's what really struck me about it. Obviously, it was probably one of, if not the biggest story last year. And when, when we asked him about... Uh, the deal and he said fans are really fickle they just move on so maybe this sponsorship deal Qatar Airways are thinking this is a gold mine for them they can pay a couple of million and they're going to make a load of money out of it but if Chapecoense go and lose a couple of matches no one's going to watch them anymore yeah I mean, we kind of forget how serious South Americans take their football I mean uh, I heard a story back uh, it was back a good few years now in the uh, Argentinian Cup final it was River Plate against Boca Juniors well known rivalry and it went to penalties. I think I think this might have been in the 90s now. The story only came out recently enough, though. It, was, it went to penalties, and it was sudden death penalties. And the, uh, the River Plate player missed it. He was shot through the windscreen of his car that night Jeez. by his own fans. He didn't die, but he was still shot He's by his own shot. fans for missing a penalty. So I think we forget how serious the rivalries are between Brazilian clubs. Yeah, absolutely. Just I, I still can't get over that. The fact it's like you had this outpouring of support for this team and Chapquinse, everyone knows who they are overnight. And then just the the fact is if if they don't continue on the success they've been having the last couple of years, people are just gonna get up and leave them again. But I suppose it's like anything Chapquinse is a thing that people will remember on its anniversary. It's like the Busby Bays. People do move on. And I suppose you kind of have to, though, yeah, don't you? Yeah, you have to, definitely. I mean, there's no point in everyone just constantly giving out news stories about this team, match reports, like previews and stuff. Like, people aren't going to... People eventually will just get fed up with the story. Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been what, three, four months now. So um, they had they had their big, their big hurrah at the start of the season. But as the season goes on, I suppose people are... It goes back to football. It's, I mean, in a, in a lesser extent, say you go to Munster Rugby, you have the great Axel tributes for the first couple of games, and then, you know, after a certain point, you just got to go back to the normal lifestyle, and they just have to go back to try doing their best on top of the table, you know? Yeah, and I mean, like we said before, eventually you do just have to move on. But unfortunately, we cannot move on because we do not have anything else to talk about. So that concludes our football podcast for the day. Thanks very much for listening. Owen Kelly's had uh, two goal opportunities, but he's got a point from a free already. This from 20 metres out. Oh, it's in the back of the net! Totally for Dublin, put his foot right through it, raises his arm into the sky. He knew from the moment he kicked it that it was over. It's a four-point lead. Win the All-Ireland Cups then. He's put it over the bar! Referee looks at his watch.